0: All right, boys. It's game day. Let's go. Let's go. Big game. Got a big game today.
1: My package has arrived. Oh, sweet. Nice.
0: Skull! Great win, fellas. What game's next? G-Men are having a great
1: year. Let's go blue! Here we go, primetime football, Texans, Dolphins. Let's do this. Yes!
0: Review. Yes! Yes! Heartland flags. Every sport, every team, every flag. Every team? That's right. Fine, fine. I'll get a Washington flag too find your flag and so much more with fast free shipping heartlandflags.com every sport every team every flag almost heartland flags and gifts presents legends and listeners with scott doctorman and chad lystico fly them high and fly them proud find your flag at
1: heartlandflags.com
0: breaking down the big 10 from the channel seat studios this is iowa everywhere
1: Hey, Hawkeye fans, Big Ten fans, and Iowans everywhere. Welcome into the Channel Seed Studios for Episode 18 of Legends and Listeners here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Chad Lystico here of the Des Moines Register, along with the esteemed Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Scott, we've been doing this together now for about four months. Uh, cannot really imagine a more eventful four months of content and thankful for Iowa Everywhere for bringing us together in this platform. Uh, We started around the time of Cade McNamara's uh, open practice injury and uh, boy a lot has happened since then has it not and we've made it to the silly season in college football and there's still plenty of drama we can talk about today.
0: Yeah you're right on here Chad I mean thinking back to that open day opening day practice or the kids day practice and I'm like, oh, man, we've already had enough drama for this year, haven't we, with the gambling stuff, with realignment, with the uh, drive for 325, and now we've got this. And little did we know that it would actually become more eventful <laughs> during the course of the season when it came to things like that. And here we are on right. uh, on the eve of, you know, within two weeks of Christmas, and it's just it never seems to stop.
1: Yeah, I mean, the invalid fair catch, you know, the drive to the – uh Big Ten championship game, all the injuries, uh, and the Brian Ferentz firing. I mean, it's uh, we've been over and over and over, but it really is. It has been like a, an unprecedented type of season to cover. And we've got guess what? We got more to talk about today. But before we start, Scott, I want to remind folks that Legends and Listeners is brought to you every week by Heartland Flags and Gifts, which offers free shipping anywhere in the U.S. and always has fresh products near uh, nearly every sport, every team, and every flag visit our good friends online at heartlandflags.com or in-store at 3719 Southwest 9th Street in Des Moines. Uh, what do we got tonight on the NFL? Raiders, Chargers with a bunch of backup. Co- we got a former Big Ten quarterback and a former North, North Dakota State quarterback uh, dueling it out tonight, right? And both of them had beaten Iowa. Um, oh, no. that's you know, right.
0: Easton Stick did in 16, and uh, Aiden O'Connell has, uh, well, you know, at least... When they were number two in the country, so. Uh, but right. either way, there's uh, you know what a perfect time to to load up on a flag, you know, <laughs> you know with free shipping this time of year, get that uh, uncle, dad, son <laughs> in your life.
1: Yeah, Something for sure. Wall. Yeah, good. Guy. But uh, the potential NFL MVP never beat Iowa. By the way, Brock Purdy. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, after all the drama, Scott, we've we've kind of hit, ai don't want to say a pause in uh, Hawkeye football, but uh, there is a little bit of a lull here between the Big Ten championship and the Citrus Bowl. There's certainly a lot going on behind the scenes, uh, but there's it's really sort of a wait and see type of mode, I guess. How would you describe it? We're kind of the what we're uh, dealing with right now in, in Hawkeye news
0: it's like a uh, colic for a baby you know we got a bunch of gas bubbles right now and none of them want to come out and where i got a stomach ache uh, you know there's just <laughs> we've got so much going on but there's nothing to really report that's got any kind of meat or anything behind it it's just a bunch of bubbles so um you know whether it's the oc and you know, I made my way to the airport last night, Chad, and waited and waited and didn't see anybody, so I didn't put it out on Twitter or didn't write about it. You know, and so um, went there, and then we, you know, the portal and how many scholarships are available now to how many people. I mean, it's we're just kind of paralyzed waiting for this, and none of us dare take a day off because you know that that could be the day that we've got
1: you know news coming out of our ears exactly um yeah you know, one thing we obviously we will get to some offensive coordinator discussion later but i wanted to start us off and we agreed we would start here uh pc wrote in the athletic this week uh, kind of about the roster squeeze uh with hawkeye football right now um our guys are up against it in scholarships uh they really you know don't have a lot of exits in the portal i mean everyone you know, knows the names that are leaving, you know, Deontay Vines, Ontario Thompson, Joe Labus, uh, Brendan Diaz-Fernandez. But that's it pretty much of scholarship guys. So they're pretty full, Scott. And, uh, you know, the there's no there's no no portal incoming movement because the priority is retaining potentially fifth and sixth year guys that have nfl decisions or maybe even fourth year guys or maybe even third year guys but um so let's kind of start there where do you want to start because you you uh maybe give a little quick recap of what you wrote about uh hopefully folks read it at the athletic but uh you've got the count at 84 scholarships before we get into decision time now there are some some big names that certainly could peel off that 84 uh and lower that number but it is a you know, you only get 85. So uh, mm-hmm. how would you kind of frame where things stand uh, as Iowa, you know, is in a really pivotal roster crafting time? Yeah.
0: And once uh, Australian punter signs and he'll actually be on campus in, uh, in we just don't know his name yet in January, <laughs> um, then it's full. So that's kind of a scary part for Iowa is to look at, where do things stand? And I mean, I think let's start kind of with the big picture. And that is um, once punter, his name is on paper tomorrow or next week, I should say, then there are 21 players coming in. That fills them to 85 scholarships. They have nine players that either have the potential for an extra year or could obtain a waiver for next year. Now, this does not include... The, the 85 does include, I should say, Luke Lachey um, and Cooper DeGene, who have NFL decisions to make. Um, and so maybe that peels off a couple of numbers there. But um, really, when you're looking at the the nine, you've got to you've got to prioritize them. You can't. It's, it's just not going to be a situation where everybody's going to get a scholarship because they want it. It's because you've got to figure out what's available and take advantage of it. And I mean, you know, I, I don't know where I would start. I would start with one a and one B to me, which is Nick Jackson and Sebastian Castro. I mean, I think if they want to come back, you make sure they come back, you'll find whatever way you want to. And then, and then after that, I think Jamari Harris and maybe Eric all would be in that close to next tier category. And then, then there's Nick Jackson who could obtain a waiver potentially from the NCAA for um, losing the last couple of games of his, you know, Virginia final season two years ago because of that horrific shooting there. And then, then there are others like Quinn Schulte a two year starter, um, Kyler Fisher was a part-time starter and a, and a sub package guy on offense. You have Nick DeYoung who played a lot and started a lot of games. And, and finally, uh, Dejon Parker who never really got to see much action, but, um, you know, has still has that extra year. So you look at all those guys, Chad, and, and they look at the spots. I mean, <laughs> You know, right now there that would be 94, you know, 94, players. So you're gonna you're gonna lose some guys here out of this.
1: Yeah, I think just to uh, clarify initially off the top, you said Nick Jackson, and you said him again. So I assume no, we're talking Nick about Jay Higgins. We're talking Jay about Jay. H- yeah, yeah. 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 Jay Higgins is is in the one That's and one right. A Cambridge. That's okay. Yeah. So, so just so folks listening, watching this, understand Higgins, all those you know Higgins uh, Castro you know, those types of guys are not in the 85. So you have to add a scholarship to bring one of them back or an Eric all something like that. Um, yeah, let's, I mean, I think that's, uh, we talked a lot about that a little bit on Hawk central last night. Um, but I think, I think you're spot on there because, uh, you have to start with Jay Higgins. Uh, you have to kind of take if your Iowa coaches or Tyler Barnes or Kirk Ferentz, whoever is, you know, you know, managing the numbers here. Um, You got to start with the best players. So, you know, if Jay Higgins comes back, like, well, you know, sorry, Nick Jackson, even maybe even as good as he is, maybe he you don't quite have room for him. Um, Now, I've heard that's kind of a real, real long shot, but still, it's Mm -hmm. worth mentioning that he could maybe get that waiver. Um, But. And then, you know, below that at linebacker, Kyler Fisher, like you said. And that's no offense to those players. You just right. don't have the – we're not saying anything about those players quality-wise, but you have to start with Jay Higgins, your second-team All-American um, and uh, first-team All-Big Ten linebacker. You know, potentially in the Citrus Bowl could set Iowa's tackles record if he has yeah. a big game, which is, uh, you know, almost unthinkable. Um <laughs> Considering the 1970s, although the the Hawkeyes played a lot like those 1970s <laughs> Hawkeyes teams Sadly this year, true. yeah, uh, where are cheering for first downs was kind of the uh, uh, what happened at Kinnick Stadium way back when. But wow, we're re- we're getting like pre-Kirk Ferentz here, 81 references. We're going back to the 70s. I think back to 1976. And, <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yeah, like Higgins, you know, is your priority, and then uh, you know Castro. Yes. would be my would be my number one outside of DeGene, of course but that's i, I would say that's a pretty i don't know maybe a 15 percent chance he comes back at best um mm-hmm. i think pretty 20 what would you say 50 50 50 50 okay
0: yeah I, I do at least last time i talked to him he was really unsure about it now he's going to get you know all the you know everything he can from NFL evaluators as to whether or not he believes that the right decision is to come back and maybe um, improve his draft stock and, and, you uh, know, also get some accolades too, because I think he under, unfortunately was, you know, he got a couple of like PFF and, and maybe I think AP, maybe you were part of that, you know, gave him the 13 nod, but I think he was better than that. Um, you know, so there's also that kind of potential, but it really comes down probably more than anything to the league you know, what does the league think? Does he, is he a sixth or seventh rounder? Um, Could he improve and become a third rounder in in another year? Or is, you know, yeah, he can come back, but he's still going to be a sixth or seventh rounder. That's going to be real, uh, real different. But I I mean, I think he and and Jamari Harris are really important to this. And I think of the upside Jamari Harris has the most because he didn't really you know, and played for last year. And then this year he came in after a suspension and he was getting better and better. And, uh, you know, he didn't get any accolades. He's probably a guy that'll be a very, very late draft pick. Maybe he makes it, but I think in some ways, I think of him like Matt Hankins, he comes back and he might have a a stellar senior year and then put himself in that draft discussion. So, um, you know, I, I have like four guys that I'm like, you recruit as hard as you do anybody else. and That's Higgins. Sorry, not Jackson, but Higgins, Castro, Harris, and all. You know, and and but all I would also say is, if you have if Lachey comes back, then you wish him well. But if
1: he's not coming back, then I think you recruit him as
0: hard as you've ever recruited anybody.
1: Yeah. So uh, I just want to clarify again because I f- we're throwing a lot of names out there. Were you saying 50 fifty? I'm. Degene or Castro? Castro. Okay. Yeah. That's, I was talking about Degene. I was, so oh, I
0: thought I, you I meant Castro.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. 15. So, what do you think percentage chance Degene comes back? 15. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. We're on the same page. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're not thinking like here. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, we got a lot going on here. So, um, uh, outside of work. But anyway, uh, yeah. I love, it. I mean, I think that, I mean, I've heard, lachey has got a stronger chance to come back, maybe, than people think. And uh, you know, I think if he comes back, probably all doesn't. I think you're right. I think it's one of the other. I don't want to say one or the other, because they both could go, but mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of motivation for one to come back. And certainly again, no offense to anyone else, but Lachey is is I mean, he's got the scholarship. He's he would have yeah. to give it up in a way. Uh, he, you know, where all would have to kind of they would have to find one for him, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, you know, there was no doubt about Cade McNamara, you know, finding one for him. That's not, that's a no-brainer. So, yeah. a little different category there, but yeah, uh, he's so already much to talk. So, yeah. yeah, right. So, so much to talk about, uh, think about here, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you could get Lachey back with Ostranga, man, mm-hmm. that's pretty appealing for whoever the offensive coordinator is.
0: Yeah, I think you could run a lot. I think Ostranga is a guy on a high trajectory. I think Luke Lachey, um, if the season would have played out and he would have been able to compete, would have been a Mackey finalist. I think, out, in fact, outside of Brock Bowers, probably would have been you know, maybe the best, second best tight end in the country. And, and next year, he has a chance to become a Mackey award winner. He's that talented. He's going to get that opportunity. This, this year, you had, what, 10 catches and, barely two games and and some real pivotal ones, I think he'd be an outstanding guy. If you can lure him back, that's like bringing back a first or second round draft pick at that position. Um, you know, and Eric all, I, I, I look at him and I think it's going to be a tough uphill, grind for him to get to um, the NFL because of when the injury took place, it was an ACL. That's not a six week, eight week, 10 week recovery. That is uh um, practically a year does anybody spend a draft pick on him they, they probably would if he was healthy um if you know the, he, he may not even be able to get to training camp healthy you know so does people just bypass him for the draft would it be better for him to improve another year i mean that's that those are the questions that i think have to be a- answered but if lachey comes back or if all comes back to combine this with, with uh, ostranga i think they've got a really good
1: twosome there Right, and uh, what's interesting, I wanted to ask about running backs actually, because as you as you look at your roster breakdown, you know, out of those eighty four slash eighty five, seven are running backs. Now that's a huge number, you know, and that's assuming LeSean Williams, Caleb Johnson, Jazzy and Patterson all come back, Terrell Washington, Kamari Moulton, and then you got incoming true freshman Brevendahl and Xavier Williams. So seven running backs. It's hard to imagine seven get to june i guess but mm-hmm. it's possible i guess it's possible right now right i mean that'll be an interesting position i guess with the bowl game you know mm-hmm. how much does each guy play they can enter till january 2nd which is the day after the game i don't know what do you what are your thoughts on running back
0: i'm kind of the same way thinking uh, you know it's great that they're all going to go to the bowl game but what happens in the bowl game if let's say they get 25 carries And 14 are Williams, six are Johnson, and then the rest go to Patterson or something like that. Uh, You know, when they get done with the bowl game, do they sit there and go, yeah, I don't know about this. Or once they get done with spring practice, you know, because the one thing is, you know, there's anxiety. We're we're attached to the the numbers today, but it really doesn't matter until you really get to August. So, you know, when somebody gets out of spring football, is that when they go? Yeah, I just don't see it. And then they enter that period, or even in the fall, in the summer, you know. So, I I would be surprised, Chad, if all seven are sued up for the Hawkeyes next August and Kids Day. I just I <laughs> yeah. I can see one, maybe even two. Yeah, picking a,
1: a different option there. Sure, uh, that's a really good point you made, I, and I I'm glad you articulated that because I think it's important to say is that yeah, I mean most of these true freshmen aren't going to be here until June, so you've got time to. Uh, you know for current scholarship guys to weed themselves out of the program and that's again not in a bad way mm-hmm. but they're also at some point scott and maybe we should have this conversation too before we move on is just at some point there you you know if you're kirk ferentz or whatever you may have to have some heart to hearts with guys that are you know and i'm not i don't know if i want to really throw names out there because it's not fair to the kids but kind of dead weight in terms of the 85 scholarships right Yeah, you have to. In today's world, Chad, when we're talking
0: about players have more options and opportunities than ever before. I mean, now there's the court case where the the portal is wide open again for everybody, no matter if they transferred or not. Now you have to look at all the people on your roster and evaluate if you're a third-year player and you've been hurt or you've been lapped. And there's other players coming in that probably have the opportunity to jump ahead of you to be second, you know, if you haven't hit the depth chart and you're entering year three, you've got your clocks ticking. And that could be, you know, medical scholarship. And that could be, you know, one of the good things Iowa has always done has been very real with their players and telling them they already know kind of where they stand. But, you know, giving them that nod of, we could probably help you out if you wanna go somewhere else. I'm just telling you exactly where things stand. You are the eighth linebacker right now. And we have others coming in and we could have other people who are coming back potentially. You know, do you want it? If you want to continue to fight, we'll support you and you compete. But it might be, you know, if you want to play, it may not come here this year or ever
1: yeah great point point. and there are certain positions where you can kind of wait till may a running back is definitely one of them where you don't necessarily need to learn every intricacy of an yeah. offense or even uh maybe even a defense potentially if you're a, a linebacker or something like that and you know maybe gonna go sp- play some special teams and fight for a backup spot at a max school or whatever mm-hmm. um you know so there's there's potential for movement there. The one, the other position I wanted to like look at just quickly before we move on is offensive line. I mean, gosh, mm. they have they only lose Rusty Feth for sure. Probably, I mean, I did ask Kirk about john Parker toward the end of the season. I said, is he possible for medical? And he's like, no, not really. So I don't think he would come back. Probably not in the pecking order. And Nick yeah. DeYoung, same with Nick DeYoung. I mean, you would think it's time to move on for him, probably just because yeah. of the numbers you've got. Yeah. <laughs> But even then, you got 18 guys. That's a big number for offensive line right now. Well, exactly. And and, and part of it is
0: you've got kind of a, a, a weird um, diagram, you know, or something. You've got four guys who are going to be seniors, and all of them started games this year. So you're not going to try to push it out, you know, or nudge out Mason Richmond, Connor Colby, Logan Jones, Tyler Ellsbury. You know, now I could see Ellsbury, you know, just speculating and he, and he did talk about this a little bit a few weeks ago just you know you start to wonder about your clock and and how if you're going to play or not and but he's he's been a productive player so maybe he'd want to stay and compete for a guard spot or maybe center or something but then you had four incoming guys uh who are true freshmen now and then you have four more incoming guys you know and so then you start to look in the middle there and Jennings, dunker starter Bo Stevens was trajectory is there as as been a player. Then there are four others that I think you you got to wonder. You know, just simply numbers game. I mean, that you don't you hate to mention them and throw them out there. And but you know, a couple of them have been hurt. You know, one of them is the backup left tackle, and and another one isn't on the depth chart. But that's it's a strange number. It wouldn't surprise me if one maybe two decides to seek other opportunities based on the situation, potentially a medical scholarship, I would say for one of them.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, good stuff. Well, I mean, again, check out that article that the names are, it gets you familiarized with the roster gets you ready for the off season ahead. Mm-hmm. And it basically has become like I was portal season right now is retaining guys. And if they fail mm-hmm. on those guys, then you probably hit the portal more hard, but if you could bring back Lachey, Castro, Higgins, uh, Harris, those would be the mm-hmm. four. If you could bring back those four, I'm gonna I'm gonna rule out DeGene. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you could bring back those four, they can they'll find room for them by by May scholarship wise. Mm, sure. I, I think so.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we made the numbers what the numbers are, I mean, if they're at 85 as of. Wednesday and then you got to make room for others and if you could bring back, back Higgins, Castro and Harris out of the extra year guys then you're really only saying we need to f- make room for three and then pot- potentially you say well maybe we need to get another wide receiver in here and, th- and yeah. you know and then there's there are ways to to massage the roster you know it's it's when you start to go well there's 85 and then there are nine <laughs> then, right you know and then you want to add another player or two out of the portal but but our but i know chad a lot of the people have had consternation over well they haven't hired an offensive coordinator and that's keeping them inactive in the portal it's it's the numbers that's keeping them inactive in the portal it's not the oc if they needed a quarterback then that would be a a huge deterrent no question but um they seem very secure with cade mcnamara coming back and then as far as deacon hill marco Lanez
1: and james reaser For sure. Good conversation there. Uh, Time is running out before Christmas, as we mentioned. uh, Uncle Eddie on his way in his tenement on wheels. So get ready for the holidays uh, and give our friends at Steeple Ridge bourbon a try. Steeple Ridge delivers a high quality, delicious drinking bourbon. If you don't find Steeple Ridge at your favorite retailer, ask for it by name. Steeple Ridge is distilled, aged and bottled in Iowa by Lonely Oak Distillery. Uh, Let's get into some offensive coordinator discussions Scott uh, it was funny to see some Scott Frost conversation yesterday I can definitively say that's not a possibility but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's that's it's silly season right so uh, we thought we'd have fun with maybe uh, a question and it doesn't mean this guy is coming it doesn't mean anything but at least it gives us something to jump off of and uh, it w- uh, we wanted to talk about what would a Paul Christ offense look like at Iowa and we can feel free to branch off this as quickly as we want get it off and get on an off ramp and jump down another rabbit hole but at least let's start there he's that that is a name scott that at least makes a lot of sense on so many levels just because uh there's a relationship there there's respect there you almost i guess feel like you would be catching him at a good time in a way if you're iowa because it was sound like he was doing a bad job at wisconsin it was just a a matter of circumstances. Right. I mean, and um, you know, gets fired mid season last year. So he's available. Obviously he's helping out Texas right now. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that makes sense, especially in the new big 10 where Iowa does need to stand out, but it also needs to do something on offense.
0: Yeah, no question that it brings about an interesting point for how much, how Iowa would change. And in what ways would it would it be more of a adaption and just kind of shifting and or would it be a legitimate full scale change? And it wouldn't be, Um, you know, when you look at, um, you know, how much they use, like, for instance, I I went back. This is when they played Wisconsin. How much 11 personnel did they use the previous year versus this year? And I mean, 11 personnel was in the 90 percent range this year. Versus about 35% last year, which is lower than Iowa usually uses it. Um, would they rely on fullback or would they get rid of fullback? Um, would they? And I think they would keep it. Now, how much of it was, would Kirk want to change things? And I don't know. Chad, what do you think? I mean, what, what do you think of a Paul Chris? I mean, I, I'm in favor of that. I think if that's the outcome. I, I would be very much... Uh, I think that would be a really smart move for Iowa and a lot of reason, range. But um, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I looked up a lot of numbers and kind of the history of Paul Christ uh, just in advance of our conversation today. And uh, it was kind of interesting, and I kind of forgot this too, so I wanted to start here. During COVID, uh, you know, that 2020 offseason, he quietly turned over play calling to Joe Rudolph who was um, a trusted uh, assistant offensive mm-hmm. coach and you know Chris to that point had been calling Wisconsin's plays so I almost put a little line on my sheet of what was off what was Wisconsin's offense like before 2020 and after and obviously Jonathan Taylor makes a big difference mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and I think you know I think Mel Tucker got the 95 million dollar contract because he had Kenneth Walker for one season you know right so a running you know a really good player does make a difference so you know you would have to kind of separate that but his offenses in you know 2017 18 19 were almost exactly what you would want if you're kirk ferentz uh i think i mean they were number so let's look at 2019 they were number thirty-eight nationally in total offense, which mm. I don't think there's any. Um, you don't. You don't have to even get that high, probably. No. Yeah, I, but that would be that's a great starting point. And Wisconsin did uh, with you would know, have to say similar personnel. It's not like Alex Hornibrook was amazing. I didn't. You know that was his year, right? Mm. Or was that Jack Cohen's year? Was that the Jack Cohen year? God, that was Jack God. Cohen, eighteen with eight, eighteen with Hornibrook, was, and
0: okay. Uh, he, yeah, and that's yeah, nothing special. He was the
1: one that had one comeback against Iowa. That was really about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, in 18 So uh, they averaged 433.2 yards per game in 19, uh, 6.3 per play, which is, I mean, those are numbers you would kill for if you're Iowa, <laughs> yeah. 5.33 per carry. Uh, 2018, 36 nationally in offense, 431 a game offensively. I mean, like consistent numbers. 6.4 per play as an offense, 6.22 per carry in 2018. Yeah, I mean, you're not probably going to get to that level, but God, I mean, you could even if you could just get to like 4.8 if your Iowa is like, oh yeah, you know, a gold standard almost. So, right. I mean, the history is there. Uh, everything I've uh, you know, researched on him is just a really sophisticated run game type of coordinator and play caller you know you think about wisconsin and they don't do under him and they didn't do like anything crazy but it was very intricate and i think that would be a selling point to iowa as well where it's it looks simple but it's not so i kind of like all that on many levels and i like his age late Mm -hmm. 50s you know it's not this isn't a guy coming in to you know make or break his career um I, i think there's a lot to like if that is the outcome here.
0: Agreed. Um, I think his, um, you know, complimentary football, that's what they played. Cause they were very, they were outstanding on defense for a long time. Um, you know, with a lot of different defensive coordinators, um, you know, Dave Aranda was the one who brought the three, four and they stuck with it. When Paul, Chris got hired and replaced Gary Anderson and whether it was Jim Leonard or whomever, they, they stuck with it and they did it was tremendous. And, you look at, you know, points per game, even in that era, you know, they were almost 34 in in 17, um, you know, plus 34 in in 19. And that was the year they beat Iowa 24 to 22. um, And that was run-based. They had some decent offensive linemen and they had some decent receivers, but uh, you know, Jack Cohen was a a nice quarterback, but that's all doable at Iowa. And to, to elevate the running game. But a lot of it was their passing game was, was crisper. It it had good routes and they weren't great receivers. They were good receivers. Quintess Cephas was pretty good. You know, the year he came back after his trial, (laughs) but other than that, I, I think if he could call the plays and worry about the offense's execution and be a part of recruiting only from the big picture perspective, you know, I'm not advocating for him to be head coach, I'm, but I think as an offensive coordinator, designing plays, smart plays, as you well articulated there, was just when he was the one calling plays. I think uh,
1: they would be in great hands
0: if that was the case.
1: Yeah, and uh, so his buyout, I guess he. Re- uh, I don't think. It's not like you would have to like overpay. I don't think to get him either. He took a reduced buyout from Wisconsin. Um, it was supposed to yeah. be twenty million. He took eleven, and uh, it was a little bit murky in terms of, but it was like agreed upon. So I kind of, yeah. uh, from what I was reading, uh, obviously you know we're not Paul Chris beat writers here, but from what I gathered, it was probably a situation where. Yeah, if you do get hired, then you just keep that $11 million whatever, instead of... So I think he wants to work again. Obviously, he's doing it now at, te- at Texas. He's got some life left in him. You know, certainly there's... Uh, you know, if John Budmeyer stays on staff, there's a familiarity there, even if he remains an analyst. Uh, his his nephew is on staff at Iowa as an analyst. I mean, that's, a, a I would think, at least a selling point on his side of things you know assuming that that his uh, nephew has had a good experience at Iowa so um, there's a lot to like there Um, so anyway yeah I think uh, and I I think the the factor I wanted to discuss with you because you've actually written a lot I mean you've written a lot about Wisconsin Iowa rivalry and stuff like that is with Wisconsin kind of veering its own way under Luke Fickle um, Phil Longo you know into more of an air raid offense could Iowa sort of become that wisconsin-ish outlier in the new big 10 that's kind of where my thought process is from a kirk ferentz ceo type of thing he's you know i don't think he ever wants to go to like the air raid type thing so could he now that wisconsin's almost getting out of its own way in that lane could iowa become that in the new big 10 that's kind of where my thought is Somebody's going to fill that vacuum. And Iowa has pretty
0: pretty much for the last couple of years anyway. I mean, they've won two out of the three West Division titles. They beat Wisconsin three out of the last four years. Um, so they have kind of filled that vacuum anyway. And if you double down on it, but you, again, you have a smart passing system to go along with that. And good coaching and, and good quarterback play. Absolutely, they could fill it. And absolutely, they could be that team that... Um, continues on this run. I mean, they they won 10 games two years ago. They won 10 games this year just because they're going to play a little bit more frequently in the East, but next year they don't play Michigan. They don't play Penn or they don't play Penn state. They play Ohio state, but the schedule may be more challenging, but you, you know, playing Wisconsin or, I mean, Washington at home. That's not, that's not an impossible task for Iowa. So, can they get more out of their running game be sharper as you as you you know very much described well and and can they get a better passing concept if they can this offense can take to a different level and if the defense maintains its high standards this could be a very high level program you know nationally not just in the big 10 but be competitive for the second spot in the big 10 championship game regardless of divisional play i really like that idea with paul christ as that you know that position and the other part is it would be a seamless transition because he would coach quarterbacks to go along with being the oc and calling plays
1: yeah i like that aspect of it too that he is a quarterback's coach a real one as offensive coordinator uh that would help for sure and yeah we're talking about you know the playoff era now you don't have to win the big 10 you just have to get you have to be like the third or fourth best team in the big 10 and um you know i you know give me a give me a 2018 or 2019 wisconsin against a ucla and or washington or even Mm -hmm. even an oregon i mean i'll i'll take my chances there especially the way this iowa defense has Mm -hmm. elevated and uh It sounds like, you know, I was willing to pay Phil Parker, Seth Wallace to stay. I mean, I think that's the goal anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you can just keep that defense rolling at a very, very high level, you don't you don't need a huge overhaul on offense. You just need better offense. Yeah,
0: (laughs) you know, the last three years have been a wasteland. We know it. It's been the worst we've ever seen. And the worst in college football history, and I'm not even being hyperbolic. I think we all agree that it's been as horrific as it gets. But when you look back, not that long ago, and back in the late teens, um, when you had, a, you know, if you if you have Luke Lachey and Addison Ostranga, it's not a stretch to think that, or Eric Hall even uh, it's not a stretch to think that you your production at tight end can't be similar to what you had with Hockinson and Fant. And if you and if we remember the way Iowa's defense has improved and taken strides is because they switched to a cash because they were trying to combat what Paul Chris did in a three wide receiver set. I mean, that's how they beat Iowa. And that's what prompted Phil Parker to say, we got to do this full time. And Iowa's defense has never been better for a for a longer period of time than what it's been now. That's under norm that's under bill brazier and everything it's better now than it ever has been and the reason why was to combat paul christ's offense so it all kind of comes back and you think about it that if paul christ can manage the offense take it to a direction and they could have the personnel run it which they should then i was a very very healthy place as a programmer
1: Absolutely, and then the last part of this, you know, if you know if if it is him, I mean, we're not saying that at all. We're just kind of having yeah. the conversation here. Feel like Kirk could really comfortably hand over. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to, but like, let it go a little bit offensively. Say, okay, you have the keys now, hundred percent. He understands ball control. He doesn't have to preach it into his head. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not turning it over. You know, you're right. But he doesn't have to tell somebody like Paul Chris that he knows that he did that. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not, it just like, boom, you understand that. Go do your thing. I'm going to hang out here with the offensive line anyway. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think, I think it could breathe some life into Kirk too, that lasts whatever he's got left five years, three years, seven years, whatever. I I think I just like the feel of it. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's just a, it's a sensible transition to me. Yeah, no question, because Kirk,
0: I think, has demonstrated, and, and maybe I'm going to get some arrows from some viewers or listeners, but I think Kirk has demonstrated his aptitude as a head coach more in the last three to four years than he ever has in his entire career. I mean, he had to turn it around 25 years ago. He did. He had to maintain it through ebbs and flows, and he did. But I think what transpired in 2020 – and how he's handled the adversity then, how he handled the adversity this year, has never been better. And the fact that they still continue to have the lowest numbers or among the lowest numbers in the transfer portal shows that the culture is very strong. But the offense needs a revamp. And I think once they go through with that and they have, a, have somebody like Paul Christ come in, that I think uh, it could go to an, a higher plane than it ever has been before. <coughs>
1: Excuse me. Uh huh. I, I keep coming up with new points, but the last thing is just like <laughs> if if you are Paul Christ, I mean there the, the way college football is changing, there aren't necessarily a lot of natural homes for you anyway, with, yeah. with what your expertise is. So Iowa just fits from his side of things too, I feel like. So uh again, I've never covered Paul Crist, uh, you know, other than a Big Ten Media Days asking him mm-hmm. a question or two, but uh <laughs> I think I asked him about Bud Meyer a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, My probably the last time I talked to him. And Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, anyway, fun conversation. Any other offensive coordinator thoughts? We just talked about one guy there, but anything else on your mind uh, as, as we kind of monitor things uh, from our seats? Well, you know, to give, Full credit to uh, one of our friends and colleagues, Tom Cakert. He listed
0: three that – and, uh, you know, those names have been bansied about. And the other two, Andy Ludwig and and Joe Philbin. I think Joe Philbin would provide similar type of strength to the Iowa program. I mean, people will think, oh, he's just trying to get the band back together again. I That would not be the case with Joe Philbin. I mean, he has been an NFL head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator for a long time. And then people – well, he didn't call plays – yeah, I'm not going to get too hung up on that part of it. He did a little bit, um, but he, you know, he's also with Aaron Rodgers and and Brett Favre, even, and and I think both of them are more than capable of changing the play at the line of scrimmage and performing well doing it. So to to get, have confidence for those people, have confidence in him. I think he would be a, still a very solid hire, and and he understands Kirk too. He's been here, and he could bring in some NFL ideas that, but he's also well versed enough because he's an analyst now at ohio state to understand the college game that you can't just have a, a playbook the size of one of my manila folder you know my uh, three ring binders back here of all these th- things um and the other one andy ludwig i think that i would be very surprised with that i mean you're talking about a guy who's making more than phil parker right now currently he's run a terrific offense at utah he's from utah his son played at iowa for three years Uh, Joe Ludwig was a fullback, a backup fullback for three years. Um, He was offensive coordinator at Wisconsin before Paul got there. Um, And then I think he came back for a little bit of a short period of time. I think to pry him away from Utah might be a little challenging, um, but worth the conversation. But I think if you're ranking probability with potential, um, I think either Philbin or, or Christ would be, if not home run hires, they're certainly getting runners to the plate and, and scoring runs.
1: Yeah, my my preference would definitely be Chris on the on those two. Uh, Ludwood, like you said, kind of a long shot, but that would be another good fit because they use their tight ends really well, know how yeah. to use them. Uh, make the most out of their offense, rely on a good defense, uh, all about stability at Utah. You know, there'd be a lot of seamless transitions mm-hmm. there. Plus, he knows the Pac 12, and yeah. you got four new opponents coming in from that and you're playing two of them next year and (laughs) another one the next year and another one the next year. So, right. Um, so, uh, there's a little bit, I mean, that's a little bonus, I guess there. And I guess today's, you know, today's message board name is Clint Kubiak of the 49ers. So, um, you know, I'm sure that's, uh, you know, fodder, you know, for people to chew on, but I'm not, I'm not thinking that's a possibility.
0: No, that's, that's the path that you've got to caution yourself against. Mm -hmm. I mean, because now, Clint Kubiak is uh, the son of Gary Kubiak, who's been a longtime NFL offensive coordinator and head coach. Uh, he's worked for Kyle Shanahan. So, you know, that the verbiage is going to be like 15 German words in a row, <laughs> you know, which will, which will stretch from one end of the building to the other, but, and he's got a great mind for it. We've heard good things about him, but coming to Iowa, is that a good move for him and how much would Kirk, say ah, we can't do it that way here it doesn't work here we can't do this and that's why i think you know if you're talking about head coaching possibilities are you bringing it? you know kirk retires and, you, and an offensive coordinator for a different one yeah maybe but i, I think this is the area where eh, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves it's it's kirk ferentz we're talking about here right and and the offensive coordinator has not really been a heavy recruiting guy anyway um, maybe a little bit of an area here or there. So I think for somebody like Paul Christ that'd be perfect. And and if he shows, if he can fix Iowa's offense, if he wants to be a head coach again in the future, mm-hmm. uh, what a, what a perfect opportunity. He took the the canyon esque offense in the world and took him to the college football playoff and they won a game. You know, yeah. something like that. And, right. and they averaged thirty two points
1: a game doing it. I mean, that's you know, there's your resume right there. Exactly. Yeah. Well put. Uh, we got a couple minutes left, maybe. I mean, we kind of went long there, but it was fun. Uh, do you want to talk about Caitlin Clark or the Iowa men? I'll give you the choice.
0: I kind of think the men are an important topic right now, Chad. All right. Um, they I'll lost three straight games by double figures. Um, they hadn't done that in four-plus years. Um, I You saw them in person in Ames. I saw them in person in, against Michigan. Um, I think it's kind of rudderless right now in a lot of ways on the floor i think they've got some good pieces but i don't think they're playing well together i don't think there's a lot of great chemistry right now um and they to me they they have a real critical couple of weeks just to get something back on the right track or it could be a season completely off the rails like we saw maybe in 2017 ish area where i think oh, maybe it was 18 when they had there was you know, 17 18 yeah yeah yeah, so I don't know. Am, am I casting too dark of a of an episode here,
1: or, or is are you in similar vein as I right now? Uh yeah, I'm. Uh, I thought this team would be better, and I'm not I'm not putting them in the grave just yet. But I also now realize, man, when you had Keegan Murray a couple years ago and Chris Murray last year, like that's a that's a big difference than what is going on now. I mean they you know, Ben Cricky, nice player, but he's not Chris Murray. Um Peyton Sanford still has not hit that level that I thought maybe he would be at now. No, he could catch fire and be great in Big Ten play. He was la you know, yeah. He kind of caught fire about this time. Well a little later. About January first or whatever last year is kind of when he started getting going. Um actually it was after the first. It was anyway, right after the first. Um and then, you know, Patrick McCaffrey is clearly dealing with something and you, you feel for him. And and hopefully he gets, you know, gets back on track personally and on the court uh, soon. Obviously, we're all rooting for that for him. I know it's been, you know, that's a tough situation um, for him. Um, so it's just a lot going on right now. Tony Perkins, grandmother, you know, passing away, uh, someone he was very close to. We can all mm-hmm. relate to that, you know, where you're. Your just emotions aren't the same, um, you know. When you got stuff going on away from work or your profession or sure. whatever, so. Uh, but I'm just not confident that they're going to get it back like they did last year because they don't have a Chris Murray. I mean, Chris Murray was hurt last year during that bad stretch. You know, they've yeah. got everybody. Everybody is playing right now, um, and, yeah. and there's not answers.
0: I think they miss Connor McCaffrey because he's been the glue piece for you know six plus years. Um, on the floor because he's the tough guy and tough in all the right ways um you know chris murray was a first round draft pick you know and you just don't replicate that and and, you know it's funny we've been spoiled a little bit as of late with chris and and keegan and um but you know you got to go all the way back to ricky davis before keegan you know who was a first round draft pick and and uh you know when they had luca and stuff and i think they've got a lot of pieces and i think the pieces are okay but I'm not sure that they're cohesive and defensively, they're every bit as terrible as they've been. I mean, they, the last three games they've averaged, you know, they've given up, what, 89 points a game on average, you know, 90 plus twice. Um, they appeared to me, you were there, to be really non-competitive in eight. And that happens. It's a great environment and, and it's a good team and it's going to get better. And I, I would probably buy stock in Iowa State right now. But, you know, so I didn't expect them to win there, but I expected them to compete. And I didn't even hmm. think, think they competed. And against Michigan, that is not a good Michigan team. That is a team that's having as much turmoil as, as any team in the country right now. And in the second half, it was like, what what's going on? And, and unfortunately, I, I thought, fran's injection was uh, dare i say a little bit selfish i mean the the technical was one thing that was you know i understand arguing that call that that was you got to charge up your team but getting kicked out with a young team that could really use some leadership at that point in that game i you know and and they weren't totally out of it and uh, but to leave the court you know you leave it up to your guy i thought that he needed to be better than that so i'm just not Sold that they get the mojo back. I think there's a lot of teams that are a little bit better than they are in the Big Ten. They can win some games, and they'll beat a team or two that they shouldn't beat. But six or seven wins, to me, is right now the ceiling I have them on the Big Ten, even in a non-good Big Ten season.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to find out. They get three games here, Florida A&M, UMBC, Northern Illinois, to kind of get right over the next three weeks. And then it's at Wisconsin, so probably going to 0-3 in Big Ten play after that. Uh, Then they get uh, some opportunities, home against Rutgers, home against Nebraska, at Minnesota, home against Purdue, home against Maryland. That's at least a five-game stretch where maybe you can get your season back on track. So I I would say after that stretch, we'll kind of have a better idea where this team is. But I'm with you. uh, My expectations have have dialed back quite a bit on this team just because – mostly because of that Michigan game. I didn't expect much at Purdue terrible Mm -hmm. circumstances because you're facing a team that just got upset (laughs) um in that place you never play well but and and iowa state that environment was terrific and the freshmen just looked overwhelmed in that game and everyone else did too yeah (laughs) so not just them but at home yeah um didn't expect them to just get blown out by a very very mediocre michigan team so Yep.
0: Yeah, I expected uh, I expected a twenty-point loss at Purdue because that's just what <laughs> happens. Even when they're good, they get blown out there. Um, well. I expected ten to twelve in Ames. Mm-hmm. I thought they're still going to lose, but I just wanted to see fight. I wanted to see competitiveness. I wanted to see, you know, you're down eight, you're down ten. We know how ravenous that offense that that place is. It is nuts, you know. So the Iowa State fans listening, yes, give yourself a round of applause. You know, you you that place is difficult to win, but I wanted to see, okay, they're still battling. I did not see that at all. And then the Michigan game in the second half was as
1: poorly played of a game as I've seen in a
0: while from Iowa basketball.
1: Be an interesting dynamic, Scott. Uh, you know, Fran McCaffrey is not very far from Tom Davis's win record, but it's going to be, it'd be like, uh, you know, if they go 12 and, 19 or something like that and he gets the yeah. record you know like in late february i mean how oh. how anticlimactic would it not saying that's going to happen but yeah. we're kind of getting down that path where mm-hmm. it could they're five and five right now so yeah. you, to, to get to 12 you got to win seven big 10 well no get to win four big 10 games yeah. probably so i guess they'll probably get there
0: yeah but but it, still it still might be february yeah maybe, maybe.
1: anyway good show man
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, having me on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for Scott Docherman, this is Chad Lysico. Thanks for tuning in to Legends and Listeners from the Channel Seed Studios. And we will talk to you next week here on the Iowa Everywhere Network. Iowa Everywhere.